And if you have your Bibles, if you will join me in the Gospel of John, John chapter 17 is where we are going to walk through this morning. Uh, and we have been walking through the Gospel of John together as a family of faith. And just as a heads up, uh, next, next Sunday, we're going to take a time out in John. And for the summer, we're going to be walking through different psalms during the summer. And so uh, we're going to be in Psalm 1 next Sunday. And so in your preparing your heart for worship, if the Lord would guide you in leading in that uh, passage coming up to next Sunday, uh, that would be a blessing. We're looking forward to walking through that. Uh, so John 17 is where we are. And I just want to say to all the graduates in the house uh, this is such a major, major milestone moment, and I just want to say, Pastor Jake shared, but just to echo, our faith family loves you, and we are with you, and want to be a support in any way, uh, and as you prepare to launch out into this new season, and whether that is right into the workforce, whether that is right into trade school, whether that is right into college, whether that is right into military, whatever that next step is, is that if I could share any word of encouragement, it is this. There is absolutely nothing, there's no one and there's no thing that's better than Jesus. There are all kinds of counterfeits that are out there. But there is nothing and there's no one more and better and greater than, more satisfying than Jesus. And so I encourage you, as you take the next step, uh, that the world's voice will be loud, but the word of truth would be loudest. And that you would abide in that relationship with Him and word and prayer, communion with Him, and staying connected to a local church and having brothers and sisters around you to follow after him together. And so as we're going to look and we're going to land in just a minute there, but, but this launching out, whether it is uh, in this community or it is on the other side of the earth, the, the reality is, is that God has a plan for your life. And a big part of that plan is that you will take his truth to wherever it is that he may have you, place you. And so tonight, or this morning, it's not night yet, is it? Uh, this morning, we are going to look at a nighttime event that happened in the ministry of Jesus. And John 17 happens to be the last night before the next evening uh, where he will be crucified. A uh, lot has happened in this night. This last Thursday evening before Good Friday, he has ended Passover by sharing this last Passover meal with his disciples, but he has now instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, communion. He has washed their feet. He told them that one of them was going to betray him. We know that's Judas. Judas is no longer in this upper room scene. It's these 11 authentic, genuine disciples. And he's taught them much, many amazing promises. He's taught them about heaven. He's taught them about how to pray in his name and he'll give you all things. He's, he's told them about the greater work that they're going to be a part of. And he's talked to them about the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to send the helper and the helper will indwell them. It's his presence living in them, comforting them, empowering them, 
helping them along the way. So many amazing promises that are true for all believers. And in the same breath that he's sharing these amazing promises, he also is preparing them for the fact that many will hate them. The world will hate them. He tells them they're going to be kicked out of their synagogues. He he tells them there's going to be a time when whoever kills you will think they're doing an act of worship for God. And so he's preparing them that there will be suffering and there will be trials. But in John 16, we looked at the last verse last week. And after all of that, Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Like he's shared all these amazing truths. He shared the reality of the suffering and trials that are come. And then that word take heart, another way to say that is cheer up. In other words, the world's gonna hate you, but my Holy Spirit, the helper is with you. And you can cheer up because I've overcome the world. And so I don't know exactly what's happening right now, but it is possible that in this conversation that we're following in John 17, they've left the upper room and they're on their way. They're walking through Jerusalem. They're going to cross through the Kidron Valley, which sits right by the Temple Mount. And the Garden of Gethsemane is there. And we're somewhere on that journey. And it could be at this moment that Judas has made his way to the Roman officials. It's possible that they are preparing their torches and their clubs for the mob that will, uh, will meet. Christ there in the garden and the the ultimate act of betrayal is underworks. And it's while all that's happening and Jesus knows everything, Jesus is God. Jesus is omniscient. That means he knows everything. There's no surprises. He knows the act of betrayal that's in motion. And yet here he is in these final moments, maybe hours before his betrayal, and what is he doing? He's praying. He's praying. John 17 is a prayer. And it is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the Bible. If you have a red letter Bible, it's all red. Mine's all red. And he is going to pray in these final moments before he is turned over. Here he is. He's praying. And so for so uh, really my, my entire life, if, as long as I've been exposed to people who are praying, I remember even being young, going to church, and it would not be strange for somebody who's praying to say, okay, everybody, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes, right? That's like the, I guess, the, the signal for its prayer time, right? Close your heads, or, or close your eyes, close your heads. We could try that, but close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. But Jesus is doing the exact opposite in John 17. In other words, he's about to pray and his head is up and his eyes are open and he's praying to God the Father and he's praying out loud and his 11 disciples are right there with him and they get to hear every single word, every single word. And so the main idea of our passage today is that on the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus is praying. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. And be encouraged in the room today. He is praying for you. He's praying for you. 
And so as we look at these first few verses in John 17, Christ is praying for himself, but he's not praying in a self-seeking way. He's, seeking, he's praying in a, in a God-glorifying way. John 17, verse 1, the Bible says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son and that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. This hour has been set in eternity past. Like all of time has been waiting for this hour that has come. Matter of fact, in the ministry of Jesus, there were multiple occasions when people tried to get their hands on Jesus, but they couldn't get their hands on Jesus. Why? Because his hour had not come yet. That's why I love the authority and the power of God, because you're not going to lay a hand on him unless he yields himself to your power or your authority. This is what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the only one that can lay it down. He's the only one that can rise it back up. And John 7, in another scene, in John chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man, speaking of Jesus, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? So in other words, they knew that Jesus was a wanted man. And they knew that Jesus was a problem for the religious leaders and there were already plots to try to get their hands on Jesus, arrest Jesus, and get rid of Jesus. And so they know this, and in John 7, verse 26, the Bible says, and here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come from my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me, verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. I love that. So again, this hour had been set. And nothing's going to change that plan. Nothing's going to hijack God's plan. God is going to fulfill the purpose for which he's come. We read when Christ was in Nazareth, there's a scene there where he goes to his hometown and he's in the temple and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he says to them as the jaws are dropped of the religious leaders, they're like, they're, they're like amazed. And he says to them, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled. In other words, he's the Messiah. And if you know the story, they lost their minds. They tried to edge him out of Nazareth. The Bible says to the edge of a cliff known as the Mount of Precipice. They were going to attempt to, to shove him, throw him, uh, push him over this edge. But I love what we read in the Bible. And that is nobody laid a hand on him. <laughs> because they can't. Because it's not his hour. So his hour has arrived and in this hour, his desires that God would be glorified. And how in the world is there glory in a object or instrument of torture? Think about that a cross. Why, why did Roman soldiers build a cross? They built a cross for a purpose. And that purpose 
was to send a message. And that message is, you don't mess with Rome. And in that, that instrument of crucifixion or torture, this is the sole purpose is to crucify, it's to torture. How in the world is a torture device a object that God would get glory from? But it absolutely is. Because it's at the cross that we see the righteousness of God on display. It's on the cross that we see His justice on full display. It's on the cross that we see holiness. God is holy and He requires a perfect sacrifice so that our sin could be forgiven. This is the glory of the cross. And not only that, that we see His grace and His mercy and His love. I mean, just think about that for a minute of God's amazing love toward you. That we say John 3, 16 often, but let's just think about it for a second. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is how much God loves you. Be encouraged. This week I've uh, had the privilege of having different conversations with folks just like you do. And I had the privilege of meeting with a brother who was a bit older than I am and had walked with Jesus for a long time. And as we talked, his eyes were welling up with tears. And his eyes were welling up in tears because he was humbled and amazed at God's love toward him. Like he's, he's not gotten over it. So God help us never to get over or never to get used to the fact that God loves us. In verse 2, the Bible says, since you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, speaking of himself, to give eternal life to all who you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Interesting, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that, you, that they know you. That they know you. Collectively in this room, we know, a, we know a whole bunch of people, right? And we also know there's a big difference in knowing about somebody and actually knowing somebody. Like we all can know facts about other people, but yet for us to really know someone, that means there's a relationship there. There's a relationship there. If I ask my lovely bride to come up here and stand beside me, which I won't do, and I love you so much, right? Um, and I were, to, and I were to, to share what an amazing relationship that we have. And then you were to ask the question, well, well, like, well, then how much time do you spend together? And I was like, none. And then, then they said, well, well, how often do you talk? I said, we never talk. And then they're like, well, like, then how can you say you know them? Because what we know is this, when you know someone, there's a relationship there. There is, in our relationship with Jesus, there is that understanding of spending time, that's relationship. Hearing their voice, that's relationship. Looking to serve, that's relationship. And Jesus says eternal life, eternal life is that they know you. And I would just encourage all of us this morning, there is a big difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. 
There's a big difference in knowing facts about Jesus, a big difference in knowing and having that relationship with him. Verse 4, the Bible says, I glorified you on earth and having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want you to think about that. Jesus says, I've accomplished the work. He came for a purpose. In just a few hours from now, he will complete that purpose and he will return to the Father. What is the work? The work is that he would come to seek and save the lost. The work is is that God required a perfect sacrifice to forgive the the, the sins of, of his creation and that only through a perfect sacrifice, which is Christ, and his blood shed on the cross, only through believing in him and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, can a sinner be forgiven of their sin. And this is why Christ has come. He has accomplished the work. He's about to accomplish the work. Y'all remember on the cross, some of his final words were, it is, anybody know? Finished. In other words, the work is done. The work that I came to do, it's complete. No one can add on it. No one can make it better. Like he's the only one that can finish the work for us. And yet for the church, the ministry of sharing with the world about the work that he's done for us is beginning. And Jesus says there in verse five, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Think of all Christ sat to the side in order to humble himself and come to be our savior. I love how Paul describes it in Philippians 2. The Holy Spirit through Paul, through the church says, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to the glory of God the Father. For the glory of God, we say it often, we exist for the glory of God and for the mission of God. And we see Christ is praying for himself, which is a challenge to our prayer life. I want us just just to think about your prayer life, my prayer life over this past week. Like if you had a recording device, at the eight o'clock I said a tape recorder. I don't even know if tape recorders (laughs) exist anymore, but you had something that could record your prayers. Okay, I want you to go back over this past week and just press record when you're praying. And I want us to just think about what are we praying? And I just wonder for us, is there that genuine desire for not my will, God, but your will be done? That's what we see in this prayer of Jesus. So he doesn't only pray for himself, but he prays for his disciples. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested, that word means to make clear and obvious, 
I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. These are Great marks of discipleship. Because in the passage, what do you see? You see the disciples heard the word of God. You see not only did they hear the word, because every one of us have an option of what we do with the word once we hear it. So you can hear it, but it's another thing to receive it. So they've heard the word and they've received the word. But even then, as a disciple of Jesus, it didn't stop there. They want to obey Christ John 14, 15 says, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so there's this picture of hearing the word and, and receiving the word and wanting to live the word. In verse 9, Jesus is praying to God. He says, I'm praying for them. It was such a good moment to just think about that. Jesus is on his way to the garden. They don't 100% know what's going on. He's leading them to this garden. And here he is. His, his head is up. His eyes are open. He's praying. And he's praying for them. And they get to hear what he's saying. He says in verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they're yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world and so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. There's so much that's going on in there that Christ is praying for his disciples. So much. He's praying for their unity. We're going to hear that often as we uh, wrap up John 17, as we continue reading their unity. He's praying for their joy. He's praying that they would be protected, and he's praying that they would be sanctified. They would be set apart. They would be set apart by the word of God. How will the world know that you belong to him? How will the world know that you are a follower of Jesus? It will be as you have yielded your heart to the word of God and by his grace and strength, you seek to honor him with your life. How else would they know God's heart? His word. How would we ever know his purposes? His word. How would we ever know what or who God loves? Because of his word. His word is so essential. Many of us have picture frames in our houses. 
And uh, a lot of those picture frames, you look at the back of them, they have a wire that connects both sides and it's designed to hang on a nail, All right? So, so if, you, if you were to go to the house and you were to take the picture off the wall, you might find a nail that's in there and everything hangs on that nail. I think about that as our believer's life, is that our lives rest on the truth of His Word, the promises of His Word, the faithfulness of His Word. And so Christ prays for Himself, He prays for His disciples, and He prays for you, and He prays for me. He prays for us. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the Word. Believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this moment, 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, we see the ministry of intercession beginning for Jesus, for His disciples. He prays for us. He continues to pray. Hebrews 7.25 says that He always lives to make intercession. So I would just say this. If you're having a bad day, or you got a bad report, or there's a dark night of the soul, or if the world knew what you were walking through, you feel that heaviness, you feel that weight, you feel that burden. Let us all be encouraged by this truth, is that Christ prays for you. He prays for you. And there have been moments when the moment is so heavy, it's so, so heavy to the point, like you don't even know what to say. If you've ever been there, like it's so heavy, you don't know how to pray. There's been moments where my prayer has been, God, I echo your prayer for my brother, my sister, whoever that person might be, because Christ is interceding. Be encouraged. God loves you and he's praying for you. It's amazing. The Bible says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I came to faith in Christ because of the word, the truth of the word. Paul says it this way over in Romans 10, verse 14 and 17. He says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Which, by the way, when you hear preaching, just be like, oh, I'm out. I'm not a preacher. <laughs> that word means to proclaim. It means to speak the truth. He says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, has, what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word, the word. God has loved us so much. He's given us his word, the word of truth. So he prays a couple things for us, and we see it in verse 21. He prays that we would be united together. United together. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you know one of the strongest evidences of the power of the gospel and the good news of Jesus 
is a unified church that all of us have probably lived enough life that there has been someone who has said they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and yet how they handled, walked through, talked to you, different things, it discouraged you. And that how believers have at times perhaps passionately argued against one another, to which I'll be quick to say that that differences of perspective are essential to understanding. I mean, I don't know that any of us are 10 out of 10 on every decision that we've made, right? There's value in seeing different perspectives and, and, and being able to talk through challenges and questions and all those things. That's healthy. There's a healthy way to walk through disagreements. Jesus even laid out in his scripture that if there's a problem, you first go to that individual and then God continues to give guidance to bring others in. But it's, it's true that oftentimes when there is a conversation and in grace and truth, you're able to talk through whatever that thing might be that God can bring about restoration and healing. God desires his church to be unified, to be unified. Verse 23 says, so that the world, why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And that word even as means the same as just as. Just as. So let me read it one more time with just as. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them just as you love me. Hear this church. This is amazing. This was worth the trip to church right now, to be encouraged by this truth is that God loves those who are His to the same degree in which He loves Christ. This is what His Word says. This is what His Word teaches us. His love is limitless. His love knows no bounds. And so Jesus prays that we would be united together and then ultimately that we would be united with Him. In verse 24, Father... I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved them may be in them and I in them. He finishes up this prayer, our Savior's prayer, by painting that picture of us spending forever and ever and ever with Him. Like He had just told him maybe a couple hours earlier in that upper room, believe in God, believe also in me, that I have gone and I've prepared a place for you that there, where I am, there you may be also. He's reminding them of heaven once again, that this place he's prepared for us. And there is encouragement to know that there is coming a time where there is no more brokenness, but he will make all things new. He will make all things new. I love what King David says at the end of Psalm 23. It's one of those famous Psalms, uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. If you go down to the very end, his last words were to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like his eyes were set on eternity. 
that he would spend eternity with God. And verse 26 says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christ had a clear mission, and now his task is complete in just a few more hours. And that task of that the world may know has now been entrusted to his church brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to just real quick go up to verse 21 through 23 one more time because we're going to see in this prayer is God's mission for us that the world would believe in Him and that the world would know Him. It's His heart that the world would know Him and that the world would believe in Him. Verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be in us. And in my Bible, I have circled so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one and I in them and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one. In my Bible, big circle, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Why have we been rescued and redeemed? So that the world would believe in Him. So that the world would know Him. God has entrusted us as a mission to share the truth of His Word. The truth of His Word. The good news of His Word. So as we wrap up this morning, I would say be encouraged with this. If you have not heard through the word this morning, may we hear loud and clear, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And not only does he love you, he prays for you. He prays for you. He loves you and he prays for you. And then I also want to share an encouragement is that not only does he love you and not only does he pray for you, but he desires to work through you, work through me, to work through us, to share others the hope that is in Jesus. I don't know that you've ever thought maybe of yourself as a missionary, but we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to share that good news. We're all called to live on mission where we live, work, and play. I think about our graduates that, you know, whether it's staying in town or going to the ends of the earth, like even just thinking like you're like an arrow being being shot out to share wherever you land about the hope that is in Jesus, that God desires to use you as a missionary, to use you as a mission force. Because think about this. What if whoever, if you're a believer, what if the person who is in your life who led you to Christ and shared the truth of His Word, what if they never shared with you? What if they never shared with you? I was 10 years old. A teenager named Stephen Howe shared the good news of Jesus with me. And as much as I knew as a 10-year-old, I repented of my sin and I trusted in Jesus. But here's my question. What if Stephen did not share with me on that night? You know, I almost want to think, well, my parents would tell me. And I mean, I went to church. I mean, like I hope somebody from church might, or maybe out of here, but I don't know. I don't know. What if the person that led Stephen to Christ 
never shared with Stephen? And what if the person who led you to Christ through the truth of his word, what if they never shared with you? And what if the person before them never shared with them? And what if the person before them never shared with them? That it's been said that the gospel came to us because it's on the way to somebody else. And I share that because God wants to use you. He wants to use us, flawed people, to be instruments of grace, to share the hope of Him with others. And so, in one last application point, I would share this. It's always good to read the Word and then have a, okay, here's how I can apply this to my life part of the, of the sermon. And so here is, here, is a, here is one of those points right here. What are y'all doing Wednesday night? Okay, I'm going to plant that seed. All right, so every Wednesday night, we have preschool children's student, and that's happening again this Sunday. So Wednesday nights, we have the best meal in town, and then preschool children's student worship the Lord in those different areas, and then adults gather for Bible study. And so we had an awesome women's study led by Miss Stephanie, and that wrapped up last Wednesday. Had an awesome men's study led by Mr. Jeffrey, that wrapped up last Wednesday. And so now we kind of have this last Wednesday of the month, or at least the semester, And so we are inviting all adults, if you would, to meet us right here at 615. Because at 615, we're going to get a a, a little bit of training, and we're going to get a little bit of prayer, and then we're going to go out in groups to these homes that are right here around us. And now for the past several months, we have had a target of about 1,200 homes that we have a personal responsibility as believers in the Lord Jesus, that we would at least attempt to be able to meet everyone right around us and to share the good news of Jesus with them. And so up to this point, 937 of those homes have been, have been touched, you know? And uh, some people have asked like, hey, how are people responding to that? Overall, very warmly. Because here's our approach. We go and we knock at the door. They open the door. We're so-and-so. We're from First Baptist Church, Olive Branch, right around the corner because we're hitting these homes right around our neighborhood. And we say, we love our community. Is there a need that you have right now or you're aware of on your street that maybe we could help meet? We don't know that we could, but if there is, hey, we, we would love to do that. And then we move to the fact of how can I pray for you? Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Which, by the way, very few people turn down prayer. <laughs> if you ask them, many times they're quick to share yes. And we also in that moment have that discernment to know that there's a hunger opportunity to share more about Christ. And in those moments, we absolutely do. But there are 253 homes left and we would love to hit every one of those homes this Wednesday night. And so if you're looking for an opportunity... <laughs> 6.15, right here. And here's the thing, you'll be like, oh, I don't know about that. Hey, no worries. Somebody will take the lead. And if you'll kind of hold back, and you pray and you kind of watch. And then who knows, that next house, you might be ready. And here's the thing. We lean on the power of the Spirit and we trust the Spirit and we just seek to be obedient to Him and love on our community. So I encourage you and challenge you. This is a way that we can Honor and live out the scriptures, but also where you live, work, and play. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your grace. 
We thank you, Father, for your truth. I thank you, Father, that in your last moments before betrayal, you're praying for us. It's amazing. You know what's coming. You know what's happening. You know the kiss of Judas. You know the being turned over to the Roman mob. You know the courtroom scene after courtroom scene that's coming. You know the sentence that is coming down from Pilate. You understand that you will carry the cross. You understand that you will lay down your life because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But yet you resurrected from the dead on the third day, proving that you have the power to forgive our sin, our greatest need, and to make us right with you and to have life and life to the full. And so God, I pray that we would be encouraged that you pray for us. In a dark night of the soul, if somebody's out there struggling, they would know you pray for them. And God, I pray that we would be stirred up to the reality that you have called us to this life of mission. Even Jesus said, Father, you've sent me, I'm sending them. We're to live sent. Where we live, where we work, where we play in our homes. God, I pray that you would stir up a passion for sharing the best news ever. And God, I pray knowing that that starts in prayer, praying for opportunities, praying to be sensitive to those opportunities, praying for courage, praying for boldness, trusting that the Holy Spirit will give the words to share in grace and truth. So Father, I pray, God, that you would allow us to honor you in that way. And I pray too for the person who may be here who doesn't know you. They may know about you, but don't have that relationship. But today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day where they understand that they are a sinner and that they have a change of mind about their sin. They, never, they no longer want to live for their self, no longer want to live for their sin, no longer want to live for their plan. They want to live for your plan. Surrender their lives to you as Lord, a commitment to you. Make a commitment to you as Lord. Believe in your life, death, burial, and resurrection. Surrender to you as Lord of all and commit to following you in grace and in the power of your spirit. Not perfectly, but God, by your grace and with the power of your spirit, I pray today would be the day of salvation. So God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I invite you to stand with me. And uh, as we close out, we have a, one more song and we have pastors here who would love to pray for you. Uh, altar's always open, but that we would lay our hearts before the Lord and honor Him with however He wants to lead us in this time.